0: You're listening to episode 34 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat.
1: Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia
0: Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today's episode is a very inspiring chat with an inspiring young lady, Sarah Moran. She's CEO and co-founder of Girl Geek Academy. We chat about technology today, technology and girls. Technology changes every minute of every day and for parents and professionals who work with children, keeping up with or even understanding technology can be a challenge. The chat today with Sarah, we will understand a little more about the basic tech terminology, We'll also learn how for girls and even women, how they can start to develop confidence with their tech skills and potentially nurture those skills for any future opportunities. We also get to hear Sarah's perspective on kids and screen time habits, so stay tuned in for that one. And you'll also learn about the social and friendship benefits that do complement working within a tech activity. So without further ado, let's start the chat with Sarah. Sarah. Sarah Moran is CEO and co-founder of Girl Geek Academy, a movement to help inspire one million women into technology by 2025, helping inspire a generational shift in the way political leaders, schools, young girls, and professional women think about and practice STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics for those who are not sure. Girl Geek Academy run programs are for girls from the ages of five right through to 95 plus. Most recently, the team created Girl Geeks, a four-book series published by Penguin Random House's Puffin Line to get young women who love tech into popular culture. Sarah won the Australian Women's Weekly Woman of the Future Award in the Entrepreneur and Business category, the QUT Young Innovation and Entrepreneurship Alumni Award, and was a finalist for Cosmopolitan Woman of the Year in 2018. Sarah is also a regular expert on Channel 9's Today Show, an active community contributor with the Leonardo Group and Science Gallery Melbourne, and sits on the Victorian Minister's Advisory Council for Gender Equality, the Future of Work Summit Advisory Board, the RMIT Games Industry Advisory Committee, keeps going, the Melbourne International Games Week Steering Committee, and the Victorian Health Youth Task Force. Sarah is also an ambassador for Brisbane City Council's youth program, Visible Inc., Welcome to Chat About Children, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Well, look, just from that intro, I don't know how you've even found the time to chat to us today, but thank you so much and congratulations for all your wonderful work and all your wonderful achievements in, I would say, a relatively short time. Congrats. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) So let us learn a little bit about you, Sarah, because I'm going to say you're relatively young and you've done so much in such a brief time. Take us back to just before Girl Geek Academy, you know, was realized. What were you doing? And what kind of led to the whole thing?
1: Yeah, so I had been working in the startup sector. So I had worked for an education startup and also worked for a startup venture capital fund in Brisbane. And I was thinking about moving to San Francisco. And I was thinking about, oh, Do I? Don't I go? And this is actually, so we were founded in 2014, but this is when it really became a business and this is in 2016. And I was like, well, we've been doing this stuff with Girl Geek Academy for a while let's actually make it happen and let's really see if we can make it into a business. And I took 12 months to bring it together. By the 12th month, it was in the 12th month, we'd run a federal government grant, a state government grant, and we had NAB as our first corporate client. And so we were off and racing. But before that, in 2014, my girl gang, my amazing group of women and I, my four women co-founders, I had accidentally created the world's first all-women hackathon and we'd been attending these tech events that were for men well they weren't for men they were largely participated in by men and they were always in basements they'd serve as beer and pizza all weekend and get to the end and they would be like thanks for coming why don't more women come and we'd look at them and be like why does anyone come these events are like you know everyone's smelly by the end of them they're terrible and yeah, yeah, yeah. so we created our own program that Looked like what we wanted it to feel like, and we ran she hacks in 2014, and that's what kicked us off on racing.
0: Fantastic. I'm going to have to ask you this question because I would say a lot of a lot of people out there and parents who are listening, we feel a gap in our knowledge and our awareness of keeping up with all the terminology and what's going on in the tech world. So, for those of us who are going, what's a hackathon? Mm -hmm. Can you just take us back to basics?
1: Yeah, sure. And that's what we do, you know. We know that we have generations uh, before us who didn't learn this stuff. And even today, you know, you've got to sort of seek it out. So a hackathon is an event that happens over a weekend and you start on a Friday night and you get together in a team and you think, what is a problem that I would like to solve? And so you work together with your teammates. By the Sunday, you've built what's called your minimum viable product. And it's the tiniest version of the thing that you could use to help test whether that solution is something that people would want to see. And so we run these events and so different people win or you have prizes or you celebrate what it's like to build a team and make something happen in a weekend.
0: Fantastic. So give me a real life example. So even if you can remember back in that time when you were with your girlfriends and you went to the, you know, the beer and pizza hackathon, what problem did you guys come up with and, you know, make it real for us. Tell us the story.
1: Well, I might give you an example from the first ever She Hacks. It was the group of women. So when we form our teams, we talk about hackers, hustlers, and hipsters. Mm -hmm. So a hacker is the person who does the coding. The hipster is the person who does the design and the aesthetic. And the hustler is the person who brings it together as a business. And this group had come together and they were like, well, what's a common problem that we have? And one of the conversations they were having was, so when they used a Maps app, so in this case, Google Maps, they said, you know, Google Maps will tell us the quickest way to get somewhere, but not necessarily the best route for us. One of them was trying to do was avoid an ex-partner. And so what they wanted to do was to be able to know that whenever they typed something into Google Maps, it would avoid any routes that went past that partner's house for various safety reasons. And so they built the whole thing in a weekend and they were able to do that. Yeah. And so what we say is that when we're building the internet, we're, offering, we're often building on top of things that already exist. So they didn't have to build Google Maps in a weekend. They only needed to build the tweak on top of Google Maps that worked for them, that tested the idea as to whether or not it would work. And when they fired it up in their presentation, we all went, oh my goodness, it works.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So in such a short period of time, you can create something that potentially others will just go, actually, I find that quite useful for me too. And it becomes a product. Potentially.
1: Yeah, you know, what it really does is it ballots the idea. You know, it allows you to say to a group of people, you can test it and say, hey, if I built the full version of this thing, would you use? And you can test it without having to spend lots of time and lots of money on doing that. It only costs you a weekend to test your idea. If you get to the end of the weekend and it's a terrible idea, well, you've only wasted the weekend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but had fun in the meantime. Yes.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully made friends and learned a lot about yourself and your potential teammates.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So I guess when you look back at that time, why did you feel it was so important to take action? Because you did kind of hit the ground running. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the NAB sponsorship and all that kind of thing, which is another topic in itself. Because people would just be going, "How on earth did they do that?" That could be another topic, Sarah. <laughs> but obviously, others have just gone, "Hang on, what you go- what you girls are doing is really important." So what did others see so quickly that kind of led to that okay we're taking action and this needs to happen now what do you think was what was the trigger for that
1: I think for us i mean So as a group, what was interesting, so the reason I say we accidentally ran the world's first all-women hackathon is that afterwards I said to our team, I said, hey, you know what? We should try and become friends with all the women around the world who are doing this in their communities. And then we could share ideas and that would be really great. And so we looked and we looked and we looked and we realized it was the first time it had been done. And it's a pretty simple idea, you know, running a hackathon focused with just women. Like that's pretty basic. And for us, it was this you know, almost a feeling of guilt being like, well, we've noticed if that really basic thing isn't getting done, who's actually biting off the hard problems and solving them? And it was that, we joke that Girl Geek Academy is run mostly on guilt, but you know, like we couldn't unnotice that problem. And so, you know, once you've noticed, you've kind of got a responsibility to follow through and we help other people notice those problems and we help them understand how they can participate in solving them and we don't guilt everybody but you know (laughs) we know it works
0: (laughs) absolutely so what do you see has potentially contributed to you know such a gap I guess
1: yeah look it's multiple things I was actually reading an article on the weekend in the ABC women were having these conversations in 1965 wow Uh, Yeah. So I'm like, Oh no, our goal is 1 million women by 2025. That'll be 60 years. We've been talking about getting more women into (laughs) technology, but you know, the internet, it used to be physical computers. Like person was a computer. They were often women and then advances in technology cut them out. And there's a whole process that went through that. And then I'm the hustler and I always think of things from a marketing perspective. And I think You know, when we're taught subjects at school, when we talk about what we want to be when we grow up, there's a really big marketing problem there. And particularly when we talk about technology being the future, how do you show someone what the future looks like and tell them that that's what job they should have? Building the future is not easy to market to young people. So now I have a trick. And if you could amuse me, if you could pretend that you're a year 10 girl sitting in a classroom and I go in, I speak to them and I say, actually I do this with all ages. I say, put your hand up if you don't know what you want to be when you grow up yet.
0: Mm -hmm. And 80% of the hands will go up. My hand's up, right? Yep.
1: Yep, that's it. I'm like, great. Come and do technology with me and we'll figure it out, right? Because that's what technology is. And you know that 80% of the jobs that young people will have in the future don't exist yet. So Mm. let's get about getting the skills that we know that when those jobs become available, that you will be able to have them. And they will go, oh. And it's a very different way to have a conversation with young people about technology and I'd like to think it's working with the people we're speaking to, but we just need to scale that effort because I think there are a lot of efforts to get more girls into STEM, but they get caught up on the science side of that and not necessarily the technology, which is the bit that I'm most passionate about.
0: Yes. So when you refer to technology, how do you define this? Like what comes to mind for you?
1: Yeah. So I talk about, we do break it down into basics. So like coding, yep. but it's often met where the young person is at. So From five to eight, it's not in the curriculum to teach young people coding. So we do that extracurricularly. So if you've got a young girl who just loves her tablet and, you know, might be fiddling with trying to build stuff, if she's a maker and a builder, we want to harness that as early as possible. And at that age, we also bring the parents along on the journey. So we say, hey, look, your daughter's really great at that you should let her teach you or, you know, we learn together in a classroom. And we do that through our Miss Makes Code program. And then at about 9 to 12, young girls start to say, well, I've got this bit of coding experience, but there's a bit of a disconnect between learning a language and then what I can do with it. And we push them that a little bit further and we say, great, well, let's build something. And as a technologist, your default thing that you want to build is a piece of software. But for young people, they want to make games. That's the entire reason that they want to get into technology, right? Like, it's like, oh, I play these games. I want to make my own game. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yep.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why we meet them where they're at, is to really talk about how they can build technology through games.
0: Okay. So have you got an example? Can you think of someone, a young girl, for example, and has really stood out for you that you've just gone, oh my goodness, like, wow. Can you share a story like that with us?
1: I have so many of those. It's not funny. They're amazing. And they're Yeah, one of my favorites is probably Charlotte. She was doing one of our coding programs and it was sort of five to eight-year-old and she was like the top half of eight, like nearly nine, you know, and she's sort of looking at me like, look. She says, I want to build my own app. I'm like, oh, okay, well, we're not teaching that today. But she's like, well, that's what I'm here for, so, you know, pull (laughs) yourself up kind of thing. They always tell you. They, like, demand, you know, what they want and it's great. I love it. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, before we get into building the app, you need to sketch out what it looked like. And so we borrowed our ambassador, Dale Stevens, she was at NAB that day, and the Dale, I've got this young woman and she's determined that she's going to build an app. Can you run her through the process of sketching it out? So they went away together and they did like a mini workshop in our workshop and they came back and at the end I said, okay, how'd you go? She goes, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I've got my concept. So then she did a full pitch in the arena at NAB, which seats like 300 people. Wow. And she has the PowerPoint up and going and she goes, this is my app. And she, you know, we'd sketched out what each frame would look like and how it would engage and interact and she'd fully designed her app. So that then I could teach her to go away and learn the code to actually go and build the thing. But to be able to stand up and just be that efficacy, that self-efficacy and that confidence put me in my place. I can tell you what.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. That's inspiring, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's great. But it happens every workshop, you know, and they noticing those turnaround in young people. I think the risk at the moment is that if you don't meet people to what they need, technologically like if they're either too advanced for the class or they want to get something else out of it they find it boring because these days a lot of so in the junior schools so primary school you learn block coding so you drag and drop the blocks and it's like a big puzzle but they're not being taught how to use actual coding languages and transitioning that into python or ruby or into other languages and so they get a bit bored and so you've really got to push people and really meet them where they're at. And then once you do, they're on fire. It's on.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And that makes sense. You've kind of you met them at the point that they're like, okay, now you're talking to me. Now I can move to the next step that I'm ready for. Whereas prior to that, they just switch off and they're just distracted because it's like, not nah, boring. I kind of know all this stuff or it's just, yeah, too easy. That happens for most kids, Sarah, at any subject or any kind of they need to be kind of taught or that customised teaching to meet where they're at. So, that sounds fantastic. So, you do a lot of work in schools, obviously. Now, being a Girl Geek Academy, surely you're teaching both girls and boys in the classes at schools or are you just doing the girls? Like, just asking might sound like an obvious question, but you know.
1: No, it's not obvious. So, the way we write the curriculums that we do, they could be applied to boys and girls. We sometimes do mixed but quite often now we also run the holiday workshops so what we try to do is try to run girls only classes and that's particularly because it really helps that with that self-efficacy that when they then go back into a mixed gender classroom it's sort of leveled the playing field a little bit just on the confidence it's really not about the technical skills and the types of things that we bring into the classroom definitely It's not about technical, that you know, it's not pushing them ahead of the boys by any means. It's just exploring things in a way that include things like friendship and collaboration and ways to work together that are important for boys as well, but speak to girls where they're at in those sorts of environments. Yes. So, yeah, so it's interesting because what we've encouraged schools to do is to say, well, if you had a full day of classes just for your boys, what would that look like too? And so that's allowed for some really great moments to happen. We were at a regional school in Victoria the other week where, so we had the girls and we were building with Lego and then the boys' classroom was doing these sort of adventures through the classroom with Spheros and a couple of other things there. And so that intimate teaching time, basically you end up with more teachers, right, in both classes. Yep. And so it really, really allowed them to explore in a way that they couldn't before. Being a regional school, there was only like 80 kids in the whole school. It was a very small school, but it was really, really great yep. for them to do that.
0: Fantastic. So obviously, you know, and part of your mission is to close that gap and the focus is on girls and women, etc. Do you think for young boys, the opportunities just out there more? Do you think boys just have that confidence or just that unspoken assumption that they're going to just kind of naturally flow into those interest areas? Is that kind of how you see it?
1: still would come back to the marketing, right? Mm. There is a social assumption that boys are good at maths, tech and science, engineering and maths. Also, there's no stigma attached. You know, if a boy is into those things, you go, yeah, well, he's one of those boys. Whereas one of those girls is not very visible to us. You know, like I am a social butterfly. I absolutely will talk to anybody. And that's not when we picture the stereotypical coder, we picture a guy in a hoodie coding in the dark. You know, that's (laughs) absolutely... You picture a hacker and you wouldn't picture me rocking up. It's a very (laughs) different idea. And so it's just that we just kind of accept that a guy can, you know, would be into those things. And so when they do, yeah, yeah, all right. But then with girls, we actually just don't even know how to think about it. And that's what inspired us to write the Girl Geek series. Because we're like, well, what does it look like for a young girl who's into technology? Who are they? Who even are these people?
0: Yeah. And can I say I had the pleasure of actually reviewing two of the four in the series. And I learned so much from reading those books. I really enjoyed it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've really got to read more of these books. A, because it felt like it just bridged a gap for me, that it brought me into the world of, you know, these girls that are techie, that are, but at the same time, there's all the, the other things going on, you know, the friendships, the conflicts, the collaboration, the teamwork, the like the normal, normal stuff. But it didn't, I guess it normalised the tech within their world. Yeah. And yeah, I learned a lot by reading those books. And I personally, I recommend them, obviously, to other parents, because I think you just get a lot out of just getting in a world of that group of girls, the tweenagers, I call them. Yeah. So yeah, was that kind of the reason for that series to come about or did you know was it something you always wanted to do? How did that kind of come about?
1: So we were approached by Penguin. They had seen us on TV somewhere at some point and they said, "Oh, we would really like you to pitch us a book series." And I'd had on my post-its, you know, years ago, I was like, "Oh, well, it would be good to one day maybe have a book." And then I had to go back and I'm like, "So you said book series. Like you want me to do a whole series?" I'm like, "Yes, that's what we want." <laughs> and so But they understood that the way that girls of this age group, nine to 12, really connect with a series of books, you know, that's how they understand narrative is through multiple characters and multiple stories. So it really worked for us as well. And then they found us a wonderful author in Alex Miles, who had had success with the Olive Black series and Zach Power under a pseudonym. And so you know, it was really great to be able to work with someone who had such talent in telling those stories. So book one, the hackathon, we actually ran a hackathon for young girls and Alex came and I thought that she was just going to maybe go, oh yeah, cool. I kind of roughly get the gist, but then the reason it feels so authentic and is such a great learning experience is because she took it directly from what happened.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Excellent.
1: Yes, exactly. It's very good to have just you know. So it's pretty much a documentary
0: book. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, no, but it's look, it's real, isn't it? It's just real.
1: That's it. So and that normalization of technology. We you know we talked about like is the technology character in the book or is it a setting or what does that feel like? And it was also really important for us that each of the four characters in in our books, they're all a different type of geek. So it's not like the stereotype. Like I always think of the woman who's on NCIS. I think it is. And she's always in the lab coat. And she has the <laughs> piggy tails. And to me, she is the girl oh, geek yeah. that ever lived up, you know. And yeah. I'm like, but well, we don't all look like her. I'm not a goth, you know. <laughs> and so having that variation, not that there's anything against goth geeks, but we we all do have different flavours and personalities and things that we bring to the table. And so having a group of girlfriends exploring what they were passionate about technology really changes how, how we talk about tech in our lives.
0: Yes, and I've got to say that, The characters within the book series, very relatable, you know, to the average girl out there. And I think that's important for parents and educators to know. Like they're considering, hey, what books should I get? To not be kind of, gold, that's a tech one. My girl's not into that. But rather just realise that it's very, it's just the characters are totally relatable to any female of that age group. My daughter read it as an eight-year-old and just loved them, you know. So, yeah, I think, and she doesn't have a great deal of tech in her life, if we can call it, like summarize it that way, but still just absolutely related. And there are parts of all the characters that even adults will relate to.
1: Funny you say that. So people say, oh, are they based on your girl gang? Are they based on on the Girl Gang Academy? And there's five of us co-founders and four characters. And so there is this real amalgam of all of our personalities in there and what we would do was when we were stuck, <laughs> I would call Amanda or April or Lisa or Tammy and say, okay, so this bit's based on a, you, a mini you. What would you do in this experience, right? And so it was so hilarious because we changed some really big parts of some of the narratives because Amanda would go, oh, no, I wouldn't have done that. This is what I would have done. <laughs>
0: <Fantastic>. <laughs> so it's great, you know, yeah. style
1: a character. It's excellent. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, so well done. I think it's a fantastic series and undoubtedly doing well. That's a Girl Geek Academy book series. So it seems a little hard sometimes or parents do sometimes think, oh, it's so hard to keep up with technology changes. Do you think there's an easier way, apart from reading the Girl Geek books, is there an easier way for parents to keep up so that they're understanding their children a little better? I mean, just the whole tech side a little better?
1: Yeah, well, the first thing I would do is I would say go to a website called code.org. And code.org is basically, it has, it was created by people from Facebook, from Microsoft. It's a non-for-profit. And essentially, you can learn to code in the first few minutes that you're there. And at least it'll get you hands-on to understand, oh, this is all that it is. Because I think there is a big mental gap that we think, you know, because technology feels so sophisticated, and it often is that therefore what my kids are learning is really sophisticated and I can't be useful and I can't help them because I've never learned to code. And then often we'll run workshops and we'll show parents, right, and they go, oh, is it just that? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, like coding is a language just like French is a language or, you know, you learn Italian or whatever. And it can take you a while to be fluent or to, you know, maybe you couldn't write a novel in it yet, but the equivalent of learning those basics is very accessible to young people, uh, to to people of all ages, I should say. And I would say that if you do go to code.org, look up the dance coding part and it'll teach you to code characters to music in the Mm. same way that you would choreograph a dance, which is just fun. And I think they know their market because there's definitely a mix of hits right now as the background music and some 80s throwbacks thrown in there as well. (laughs)
0: Madonna never goes Australia when you're doing your coding. <laughs> fantastic. Okay, that's code.org. So that'll help kind of close the gap. And I think just generally, just chatting to your kids every day, what are you? What are you learning in STEM? What's happening? Teach me, because we do learn so much from our kids and what they're learning at school. And if they can teach us something, we know that they've got it. You know, they've really understood it, and they've. It's yeah, it's kind of sunk in a little. So that's fantastic. Code.org. Now I have a question for you, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this one screen time habits so I don't know how much you know about me Sarah but I have my views on this I'm a speech pathologist and I work a lot with kids who have language delays and you know need a lot of human interaction opportunities to develop their communication skills blah 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 and you know there's all sorts of recommendations etc for good reason What are your thoughts on screen time habits and how to keep a balance? And what you might see as balance could be different to someone else, but what are your thoughts on it generally?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I think probably one of the biggest things, I mean, I grew up watching a lot of television and so my pop culture references are always very on point. But with screen time, it's what are you doing with that screen time? And I think that you know, I have nephews who are all sort of the preschool age and, you know, I'm watching them sort of experience some of those issues that you're probably seeing as well. And so I'm very aware of it. I think that, you know, if we're learning, there's actually a lot of ways to learn technology offline as well, which I think is really important to know. I mean, I'm nothing without my post-it notes, <laughs> planning <laughs> yeah. things, that yeah. sort of thing. And I think that it's, if we can take the equivalent and say, well, how much TV would you let your child watch? You know, if you think of it as having the same effect, when is it effective and when isn't it? And I remember growing up that I would watch, you know, you had that sort of after-school programming that was all semi-educational. Then after that, it was the same, you know? And it's like, well, how are you defining that with your child? I don't think all screen time is the same. And understanding and having that conversation about, well, we're actually, we're working now, you know, we're doing some homework versus, yeah, just bust open YouTube and find something really weird and strange that you probably shouldn't be watching are very different things and going back to the pushing the kids further I think there is something to be said for the number of apps that are out there that oh it's educational but if it's not stretching that young person and it's not making them think then it is just entertainment and it's just even if you're dragging and dropping and doing all the things if it's mindless screen time it's mindless whether it's technically a game or an educational program or not
0: yeah, and that's a really valid point there. Is it stretching them and having them you know, use their brains to problem solve, be creative, use their imaginations, et cetera, et cetera? Then there is something going on for them. But yeah, the mindless pushing of buttons and that kind of thing is a very different quality type of screen time. So I guess it's ascertaining the quality and then, yes, the time across the day.
1: Yeah, and I see it. So the way we, just to give you an overview of quickly how we run our classes, we start everyone off at the same level. We start with code.org as the website to start and then I look around the room and you can see the kids that are going boop, 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 boop. I'm like, this is your coasting. And so you go and you say, have you done this before? And they go, yeah, yeah, I did it like in school. So why didn't you tell me for one? And I'm like, well, now that I know that, here's a range of other things you might not have tried and I want you to try that. But unless you have that conversation with those young people, They'll take the coast, like, you know, because, and also they don't necessarily want to be seen to be different and all those things. But I'm like, no, let's try and let's go harder. And I think, you know, even in traditional classrooms, that it's really hard. You've got to be paying attention to how a person is engaging with the screen, which definitely takes a bit of skill and time and effort. Because otherwise, if they're all just sitting there quietly, yes, they're well behaved, but they might be zoning out. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. And that's right. And I think what you've put forward an important point there is, making it interactive and checking in with them. And that's where you're having that communication to just go, okay, where are they at with this? Do we need to change this up? Do we need to customize a little? Yeah, and that's really, really important. And look, the same would be said with, you know, when we talk about screen time with young kids, if you're sitting down next to them, having a chat about what they're watching and what they're seeing, you're having a language, you know, enrichment session, really. So, I guess you've brought up a similar thing, but paralleled it to when they're in front of the screen. So, very good point. Very good point. Can I tell
1: you one quick one?
0: Yeah. Cut it, you can. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
1: one other thing that we do is so, in industry, if you walk into technology buildings, you'll often find people pair programming. So we talk about a driver and a navigator. So one person will be doing the coding and the other person is watching and observing. And so when we think about, you know, hacking being an isolated activity, it actually isn't. So those social skills and those communication skills around the screen become very, very important in industry. So we try to bring that back as early as possible. So when we're doing our workshops, people always work in pairs. It is not something you do on your own, which again, really you have to have that face-to-face communication because the person next to you is going to be a bit confused if you don't have that conversation.
0: Yep. And that would need really specific communication too, which is fantastic. So there is that practice of communication skills and the teamwork and the collaboration and all the stuff that I guess we would umbrella term as life skills. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a really valid point to put forward. So fantastic. So you've mentioned a few programs and classes you do. Any other There are heaps, but any other ones that you want to highlight to us that your team offer at Girl Geek Academy? And what about for people that are not in Victoria?
1: I'd say that's it, right? So we can't be everywhere all the time and having that base time. But I would encourage any parent who wants to see this happen for their child and have that enrichment to start your own thing. Like, you know, it's okay to start a STEM club at the school. It's okay to, you know, maybe consider. I would love to see. So in industry, we have these things called meetups where once a month you get all the developers who code in one language together and they meet up and they do that. I would love to see that happen with young people. But, you know, I can't host every meetup in Australia. So if you have a bit of get up and go and don't mind hosting a bit of a social afternoon, you know, on a Sunday morning or a Saturday afternoon or one afternoon after school once a month, bringing kids who love technology together or maybe want to love technology, just letting them hang out together and having that social structure around the work you'll see them develop friendships that will help support them and continue and feed that passion as they grow older.
0: Fantastic. It's a good idea. And to be honest, there are a lot of kids out there that need help and support with social skills hugely and, and friendships. So that's a fantastic idea. Thank you. So we're getting to my last kind of couple of questions here, Sarah. This is a bit of a cheeky one. You've got your goal of 1 million women, into tech by 2025 which is you know five years away really how are you keeping track of measuring your numbers how do you know when you get to a million
1: well it's so funny because that was my co-founder Tammy He's like yeah we'll teach a women, million women by 2025 I'm like yeah cool okay if you don't measure it you know it won't happen so yeah a million sounds good and then we realized when we started getting in we like well what does teaching mean <laughs> you know what does it mean what somebody I'm like when can we count them you know And so, we sort of have a number of different tiers as to how we measure whether we've taught someone. So, obviously, if we've run a full day workshop, like that's some pretty intense teaching, and that's lovely. But, you know, even the people who read the books, we count them as someone who we have taught. And the things that we don't count, but if we did, we would have smashed this goal many times over, is the reach that conversations like this one have, and also, you know, things like the Today Show and having that face in the media. So, really, what we've learned over the last five years is. How far things have come. So, we've been able to, you know, we've had many women come through our accelerator programs. We've taught over 1,000 teachers who have then gone on to teach over 10,000 students in schools. But that each of those things impact differently. So, yeah. we're tracking on our way to a million, but the point of the books is definitely that, that scalable content. We've yeah. just sold our first international rights for the books. Fantastic. Congrats. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And so we hope that many other countries will pick them up as well. We're talking about running the programs in Morocco, Samoa, and a couple of other places like that. But, I mean, wouldn't it be great if we can teach 1 million Australian women um, in the next five years and then everything else is on top? So we'll see how we go.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. Oh, look, well done. Like, well done. It's a massive job, but you've got the energy. You've got the team of girls kind of just powering each other on, which is awesome. So just keep up the fantastic work where can we all learn a little more about Girl Geek Academy, Sarah?
1: Well, if you're on Twitter, we are also on Twitter. So Girl Geek Academy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, but then also our website is girlgeekacademy.com. And you're welcome to email us. We'll try and get back to you when we're not teaching in classrooms, but we're always happy to hear from people and hear how they're going. And then also if you get stuck with anything, you know, if you do take up my idea to run a meetup at a school and you're like, oh, and then what, you know, email me because it's quicker if you run the meetup and I just spend five minutes of my time helping you <laughs> than me <laughs> having yeah. to start that up myself. Yeah. So we really encourage people. We don't think of ourselves as having competitors. We think that we need all hands on deck to help really move the needle for the next generation of girls and the current generation of women.
0: Wonderful. Sarah, thank you so much for joining The Chat about Children.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Wonderful chat with Sarah Moran, certainly inspiring. She is doing amazing work with her team at Girl Geek Academy. A couple of the websites that she mentioned were code.org and also girlgeekacademy.com. And do remember to check out the four book series, the Girl Geek Academy book series, which is wonderful for all the teenagers out there. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Chat About Children, please remember to share with family, friends and colleagues. Check out our website, chataboutchildren.com. And if you're feeling enthusiastic, please do leave a review and make sure that you do subscribe to the podcast. Thank you so much for your attention. I celebrate you and look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestelic. www.chataboutchildren.com.